Awesome. Good afternoon. No. Uh, hi. <laughs> like, hello. It's, it's good to see you. Um, little disclaimer. My wife's not here. I'm, I'm super sad she's not here. My, she's not feeling well. She struggled this whole weekend. So she's got our kids at home. Our kids are devastated. They couldn't come. Because outside of our congregation, this is, what, this is where they like to be, wherever Granny and Grandpa are. Um, but it was quite funny. I was sitting in the, we were getting chicken off the church, and we're sitting in the car, and my youngest, she's eight, she pops up at the back, and she says, so dad, what are you, you going to preach this afternoon? I was like, I gave this deep, like, oh, babe, you know, I'm still asking the Lord, and I'm thinking, and she says, okay, dad, but do you know what? They need to remember that what they get is what they get, and they mustn't complain. So that is the disclaimer from my eight-year-old, is whatever I preach is you get what you get, and you don't complain, okay? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited with uh, the message that I feel like uh, it's a message that I've preached in uh, multiple congregations at different, and it always applies differently, but it's a message that I feel like the Lord has given me, not just for me, I do feel it applies to me, and not just for you, but actually a message that I feel applies to us as the body, us as believers, and... Um, it's almost been somewhat of a bugbear that I find myself preaching into and reading on and really trying to hear the Lord because my greatest joy is to see people serve Jesus in freedom. Is to see people love being a Christian. I really don't like miserable Christians. I struggle. I struggle with people who see Christianity as this difficult, hard thing that I've, this burden that I carry. No, you have a reason to be glad when no one else does. There is something that Jesus has done for you and for me that is different and it gives us joy and it gives us hope and it gives us life when there's nothing else out there. Okay, that's the intro. Get what you get and you don't complain. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 27. And the title of my message is going to be... Um, Worthy of the gospel. Worthy. I, I preached uh, at a conference last year, and I preached about being worthy of your calling. It's not the same thing. This is worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the good news. So in Philippians 1 verse 27, it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves, or hashtag YOLO, live your life. Whatever happens, live your life in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I'm going to pause there. Because do you know that I think this is one of the biggest traps most Christians live out? I think this scripture means something, and we can give it a different meaning. I think when we read, live your life worthy of the gospel, we think that we need to live, we need to do things to show that we're a Christian. So when you're on good behavior, then it's easy to go to church. But when you've come from December and you've probably enjoyed New Year's too much and you were away and you didn't pray and you didn't read your Bible and you stayed far from God and then you come back in in January, you like sneak in the back door. You're like, whoop, I hope Jesus didn't see me. I'm just going to casually sneak in. And Because there is a part of us that feels like there is this message of this incredible thing that Jesus has done, and I have to live up to it. 
I have to try and do it. And I want to say this morning that if you believe that and you think that, you're wrong. That's not how you make friends. Eh? Don't, don't tell people they're wrong. But actually, there is a way. And, and the way the scripture is written is, live your life in a manner that will show the world the worth of the gospel. Actually, your life gets to show how important the good news is. Not try and live up to it so that you can live by its standard. Because do you know what happens if you try and live up to it? It's called behavioral management. Everything is about what I did or what I didn't do or how I did it. Or I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. I did swear. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. And you're constantly trying to balance your life between the bad things that I do and the good things that I do. And I'm trying to make it balanced so that it's equal to the, the message of God. That's a load of rubbish. But it's how most of us live our lives. Or maybe that's just me. It's just me. Clearly. I'm the only one that lives with this. And, and I'm all right. Like, we can have this as a Christian. You can sometimes walk with the weight of the world on your shoulders. That is not the good news. The good news is you are saved and you are set free because he did something that you couldn't do. You're able to live with hope because of what he did. It's got nothing to do with what you do. He not only saves you, he keeps you. It's very one side of the fair. Literally. This is why it is called the good news. And I, I'm going to come back to the scripture. I just I want to move into, uh, there's two parables that I'd love to read, which will kind of show us where Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of heaven is like this. And, and so whenever Jesus teaches his disciples like this, because remember, he's, he's from a different kingdom. And he's trying to teach his disciples that the kingdom of heaven is very different to what you know to be real. It's not the same. Because you relate to the world through what you know. And so he's trying to teach them what you know is wrong. It's, it's not like the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is different. Okay? And so I want to tell you that. This world that you live in, in no way, shape, or form reflects the kingdom of heaven. So a lot of us have this guilt and shame DNA encoded into us, partly because of our parenting. And I love my mom and dad. They're amazing. They're not here. I love you, dad. When you listen to this, no blame on you. But that we can so easily fall into this relationship with our children. When you do something wrong, I'm angry. When you perform and do something really well, I'm really happy. And do you know what? We see God like that. He's not like that. That's why he died on the cross. To remove your sin. To remove your shame. Based on what you believe, not what you do. What you believe will bear fruit in what you do. Is it okay? Still with me? Crossing too many boundaries here. <laughs> I, I want to elaborate that in Romans 15, verse 16. Uh, Paul is writing, I'm 
I'm busy like doing this whole study on Romans at the moment. I feel like I told our church this morning, guys, I think for the rest of the year, I'm going to preach out of Romans most weeks. Like we'll do a digress and I'm not going to go chapter upon chapter, but I'm finding so much life in the book of Romans for myself. And this is one of the things it says. It says, I, Paul is writing about himself. It says, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you, the Gentiles. I bring you the good news, the gospel, so that I might present you as an acceptable offering. That's amazing. Who makes us an acceptable offering? Is it us? Do we make ourselves an acceptable offering? I beat myself and I discipline and I listen and I go to church and I go to come and I read my Bible and I pray every day and then I'll grow, grow, grow. Like, that's the type of Christianity we can slip into. No. He says, you are an acceptable offering to God being made holy by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the only reason you are an acceptable offering before Him is because of what He does in your life by His Spirit? Holy Spirit, I want to ask right now, would you just come? Even as we just sit here, would you open our eyes to see that this walk with you is not, it does not hinge on my behavior. That our relationship hinges on what you did for us and our belief in what you've done for us. I can't, I can't reiterate this enough. This is a trap. I have watched many Christians, many Christians, I am young, I like to tell myself that, I am young, and I have been leading a church since I was 23, 22, and I'm 35 now, so 13 years, and I've seen over the last 13 years of being in church and preaching and leading, I've watched Christians be on fire for Jesus and do all the right things, and then they wobble, and they're unable to keep up with that, and then they die out, and they one, one week they're sitting right here and they're amen and they're taking notes and then the next week they're sitting at the back and then the week after they're not even here. And it's because we so easily hinge this relationship with God on what I do and it's not, it's not dependent on that. You have to be secured by the fact that it's your faith that has saved you. It's your faith that will keep you. It's your faith that will bear fruit in your life. And so if you have no fruit, it's because you don't. Uh, Matthew 13, verse 31. And so Jesus is going to elaborate this to his disciples. He's trying to tell them, how do you focus on the important things? And so it's in Matthew 13, 31. And he says, he told them a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. Even though it is the smallest of all the seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And so Jesus is painting this picture to his disciples. He says, the kingdom of heaven comes like this tiny, tiny, tiny mustard seed. This simple, easy to understand concept that he loves me. That he removed my sin from me. That if I believe in him, I'll have life. It's this tiny seed. And you put it in this field of your life. And let me give you a little disclaimer. 
Your life is not a well-plowed field ready for seed. It's a weed patch. It is. All of us, our lives are like these dusty weed patches. And so it's like we have, there is this moment, we come to church or somebody tells us about Jesus or we respond to him and it's like there's this tiny mustard seed and he puts it in the middle of this field. And when you take a look back, when somebody first gets saved, do you see more weeds and overgrowth or trees? All you see is weeds and overgrowth. It's all you see. And you know what happens so often in the church, so often in us, is we think, oh, well, I better start ripping out all the weeds to make space for the seed to grow. So somebody responds and they put their hand up and they, they want to give their life to Jesus and we, we clap and we celebrate. And then the next week we notice they, they come to church, but they come in a little late. And the reason they come out late is they're smoking in the parking lot. We think to ourselves, okay, don't worry, they've just got saved. I'll go and help them. And so you guys are like, hey, listen, you're a Christian now. We don't smoke. This is what happens. And we try and remove the weeds. Ignorance of the fact that when you're pulling out weeds, you don't even know where the seed is. Half the time, I've watched people with good intentions de-weed the field and in the process kill the seed. It is not our duty or our obligation to make people holy. It is something that comes from within you. And so as a believer, when this seed takes root, you start to want to get rid of this, the weeds in your life. You start to not want to do things that you previously did do. But it's from the inside. You don't worship because you're told to. Nobody told me how and what I should do when I worship. For me, it's all internal. And today, I must admit, I lack zeal. Do you know why? I played that stupid little tennis game, that paddle. And I hurt my back, and I haven't been able to walk the whole weekend. And that's why I wasn't jumping around in worship. But it's not because there's something wrong on the inside of me. I want to worship. I want to give him everything. Because I know for me, he gave everything. Because when I read, you're worthy. I'm like, let me tell you what. If he can do it for me. When you meet my dad, if all of those who know my dad, if you're visitors, when you meet my dad, my dad has gone gray. Love it. I am 90% of the reason my dad is gray. I was that kid. I was terrible. I know my life. I know who I am. I know, the other day I was sitting with my wife and I was like, honestly, I am such a trashy person when I'm sick. I suck. I've got no compassion. I've got no kindness. I'm grumpy. I'm miserable to be around. There is nothing good inside of me without Jesus. I promise you. And I'm not just pointing the finger at me. I'm pointing the finger at you. I'm saying, actually, you might be sitting here thinking you're pretty amazing. Newsflash, you also suck. There's a famous quote. It says, there are two kinds of sinners in the world. Those who know that they need Jesus and those who don't know but still need him. I'm just the type of sinner that knows that I need Jesus. And so actually what Jesus is saying is, when the kingdom of heaven comes and it takes root in somebody's life, it begins to grow. And do you know what? 
it outgrows everything else. It outgrows everything else. We had this guy, um, I think it's like three or four weeks ago, he gave his life to the Lord, and um, I didn't know there were still people like this. Literally came in, he had never been to church in his life. He's in his 30s. Never been to church in his life. I was like, because our country, we've got somewhat of a religious culture, especially if you're 30. And um, never been to church in his life. He gave his life to the Lord. And he contacted one of our elders on a Tuesday. And he's like, I was reading this thing about baptism. And I was like, hang on, wait, what do you mean? Like, didn't you do the course? And they spoke to you about baptism? And no, 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 I got saved. And after I gave my life to Jesus, I decided I need to learn something about him. Like, I've just said, I surrender my life. I should know what I signed up for. And so he was reading his Bible on his own. And of that, he read like, hey, Christians got baptized. Like, shouldn't I also get baptized? And that's what happens when the seed takes root. You don't have to tell it what to do. You don't have to be like, hey, it's time for you to be a good seed now. You need to burst through the ground, little seed. Come on. Okay. We are halfway there. We're nearly done. We are approaching. That's why everybody, like, when I stand up to preach, most people clap. It's not because of how I preach. It's because they know, ah, oh, it's the dude that only goes 25 minutes. Yes, I can do this. I can do 25 minutes. There's another parable, Mark 4, verse 26. And he also said, Jesus, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Even though it does not know how, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he's teaching this principle of the kingdom of heaven takes root and grows and will overtake your life. If it doesn't, I would like to present you with what possibly is the problem. It's a soil problem. It's a soil. When Jesus talks about the farmer who goes out to sow his seed, he talks about the seed that falls on the rocky ground and it doesn't take root, or the seed that falls on good soil, but the weeds kill it, or the, the, the soil of your heart. Your response to Jesus is what determines how that seed will grow in your life and how much you love him. Meaning, as long as you want to change and become more like him, you will. You will. Because the fact that you are a Christian and the fact that you become more like him is a miracle. It's literally a miracle. I was sharing this morning about if you think of Paul, he was Saul. His day job, Monday to Friday, I'm going to go out and persecute some Christians. That's what he did as a day job. He ran around catching Christians, stoning them, not that stoning them, throwing them in jail, killing them. That's what his day job was. And during his normal day job, he has an encounter with Jesus, and he's never the same, and he starts to want to preach the gospel to every single person that he meets. That is a miracle. 
That is what it means to be a believer. He's done a miracle inside of me. I was just dead, but now I'm alive. Got a catch. So I, that's my first main big point. Second point is so much easier. First main big point is to live a life worthy of the gospel, it's not about what you do. You, you can give everything you have and it can mean nothing. There's one thing that the Lord is after and it's your heart. There's one thing that, you know, you can knock it at the end of your life. All of us, all of us will stand before him and all of us will acknowledge him. Do you know that? You will, at the end of your life, when you come before him, you will bow your knee. The choice is you will choose to or you will realize and you will bow your knee. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's how it goes. The benefit is you could get to do it this side of eternity. Enjoy a relationship with him. Find out what an incredibly loving, good father he is. And so there is nothing you can do to measure up good news that you can be saved. That you are saved. You can be saved. There is nothing you can do. But on the contrary, it does look like something. A life worthy of the gospel does look like something. And I have three little sub points to tell you what it looks like. So if we carry on from, so it says Philippians 1 verse 27, whatever happens, live your life or conduct yourselves worthy in an in a manner worthy of the gospel, then whether I come and see you or I'm only here about you, and here's the first point, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. The second point, striving side by side together as one for the faith of the gospel. And the third point, without being frightened in any way of those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed that you will be saved by him. And so it looks like a life that is reflecting the worth of the gospel looks like these three simple things. The first one is that stand firm in one spirit. It means you're not wobbled and shaken and moving, and you're not moving with every trend. You are firm in one spirit. You are together. It's not this, I'm an island, I'm doing this my own thing, I'm in one week, I'm out the next week, I'm inconsistent, I'm falling apart, I'm here dancing on a Sunday, then I'm there dancing in the club on a Friday, then I'm... There is a standing firm in one spirit reflects the worth of the gospel. This is the symptoms of when the kingdom has taken root in your life. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying this is a checklist. If you approach it like a checklist... The whole first point doesn't work. Nothing you can do. This is the sign of what it looks like. The second point is that striving together as one. You know what the hardest part of being a part of a church is? You. Really. You can look to your left, look to your right. That is the reason why it's tough to be a part of church. 
it's made of people. People suck. They do. I've been doing this long enough to know this. People suck. They love you. And they'll do anything for you until you touch one thing. And I want nothing to do with you. And you are the worst thing that ever happened. We are humans. Not about sign of the, the, the value of the gospel is that the church should get it right when the world gets it wrong. That actually here we serve Jesus side by side as one. It looks like loving one another. It looks like caring for one another. You do not, and I know that I could be attacked for this. It's fine. Don't even protect me. I do not believe that you get Christians outside of the church. I do not see it in my Bible. Show me, I beg you. I do not see a follower of Jesus in Ireland doing their own thing, watching their internet stream, listening to preachers, feeding them some. Man, if being a Christian was a solo effort, I would love it. It would be easy. I promise you, I am actually an introvert. This, this that I'm doing, this is difficult for me. I would love to be at home on my own, chilling, log on on a Sunday morning, listen to a blacker preach, pick my favorite type of worship, pick my preference, my song. Maybe I want to listen to some like gangster rap Christian this morning and then metal worship the next Sunday and then I'll pick a preach that kind of goes on what I want. Oh, maybe, maybe, you know what? It's January, so like money's an issue. Let me pick a preach that talks about Speak to your wallet and let money come out. And I'm going to go with one of those. And then um, uh, I want a good life. Man, if, you, if that was church, how does that reflect the worth of the gospel? Man, this is not about your preference. This is not about what we like and don't like and what time we meet. You guys meet at an inconvenient time, 4 o'clock. We meet at 8.30, even more inconvenient. Because for us, church is not about the building. We're just like, hey, we have a building, and this is when it's available. Let's use it. We don't build on preference. We don't build on what I like and don't like, and I don't like that, and I want that. I'm like, I'm that guy that walks into every church service and longs for an elect electric guitarist to bust out a solo. Like, then I'll just enjoy the presence of the Lord. Other people are like, it sounds like the devil. My mom being one of them, she hates it. If the kingdom of God was about your preference, a, a symptom of a life worthy of the gospel wouldn't look like striving together side by side. When we pursue Jesus in a community of believers, together doing our best to love him and to love those around me, that is a sign for them what it says. Standing firm and striving. This is not passive. God has blessed us as a church. We are like 48 congregations. We are um, all over South Africa and Zim and all over the show. And there is this, this thing that God has done inside of Josh Jennings. You know what we don't want in Josh Jennings? 
are not looking for people who want to sit back and passively come to church and watch church. This church, if you're here for a show, I promise you, meet me afterwards, I'll send you a pin, I can, you can go to another show. Does, does he give me the freedom to do that? I'm sorry. If you do, blame me, not him. I'm sorry. My bad. I was processing that. I was like, okay, this could be a problem. I could be getting a hiding after this. No, no. Striving side by side. When the kingdom of God takes root in your life, you can't help but love others. It's a symptom. If you struggle to love people, I know I'm gonna. I know who I am, so I can tell you my story. For me, when I'm a miserable person to be around, I know it's because I'm not aligned with the Lord. Because when I receive His love, it's so much easier for me to give it. When I realize that for me, God has to be very long-suffering with me. When I realize that. He's got to be super gracious and kind towards me. When I see others that I need to be loving and kind and gracious towards, I realize I'm no better than this person. I really do see myself as, I'm, I'm the worst. You can't throw stones at me, I'll throw you first. Really. There is nothing in me that believes that I'm qualified to do anything that the Lord's asked me to do. Nothing. There's one thing that qualifies me. And it's what Jesus did on the cross. And I believe that with everything inside of me. And that yields fruit in my life. And so when I am not spending time with him, I find it difficult to spend time with others. Maybe you're an extrovert and you don't know what I'm saying. God bless you. That's amazing. The last one. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose us. <clears throat> Can I give you one of the do not commands of Jesus that I think we struggle to live out the most? I actually think we, we struggle with this more than anything else, especially in South Africa, especially in our demographic, especially in the middle class where we find ourselves. Jesus gave this command, do not worry. Literally. Who have you failed in that command this week? Do not worry. Everyone's like, no, load shedding just got downgraded. I'm happy again. Life's, woohoo! Tomorrow's going to be back to stage four. Then you'll be back to do not worry. I promise you. That is one of the commands that Jesus says, do not worry, do not be anxious for anything. symptom. When your world can be shaken, when the economies start to wobble, when the rand loses all its strength, when the petrol price goes up, when it's harder to find a job, when the, food, when the grocery prices go up, when everything gets more difficult, when elections are coming closer and so parties start to make more and more radical statements, kill them, take over, take land, when that stuff starts to happen, the command is, do not worry. This is not where your security lies. Your security lies 
in what I did for you. And I am coming back to you. We worry and we're anxious. And I want to be, I, I promise you, I promise you, just as much as Jess Stefan, he's my, I would say he's my best friend, he, he would probably put me like second or third on his list. We often have little worry parties together. See, am I right? Just this last week, he came to visit me, and I was like, oh, dude, uh, this, no, 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 and I was, oh, it is very normal. I'm not telling you, you're bad, don't do it. I'm saying, no, we all by default want to worry and be concerned. But then, we have to find ourselves talking into Jesus. And then, we have to say to ourselves, I'm not going to be worried about this. I'm not going to be anxious about this. My hope is in eternity. This world can't take nothing from me. The only thing that it can do is kill me. And I actually, for all accounts, am already dead. When I got baptized, I tried to put on display for everyone else that this old man, Daniel, he's now dead. And the person that comes out the water, he's not his own anymore. He's been bought. He's been paid for with a price. He belongs to him. And so when I worry and when I concern and when I'm caught up in this stuff, I have to remind myself, I don't have to be afraid of this stuff. I'm dead to it. In the middle of January, I, I love the boldness of which you gave the finance people. I'm tired. Honestly, I can't care for when we, when we, Walk on eggshells around money in church. Let's not talk about it. You know what? It's one of the things Jesus spoke about the most. And I can tell you what, you, what is important in your life if you showed me your budget. I can show you what you value most. And we can have an argument over a lie detector. And I will be right 100% of the time. You put your money where your mouth is. The things that are important to you, they get your most finance. My wife and I have this discussion. We, we have four children. Man, it's a large family. You know, what that, you know what that means for us when our medical aid goes off every month? We only have a hospital plan. And I sit and talk to my wife. I'm like, right now it's like, it's like 8,000 rand a month. Just the, just the hospital plan. And I haven't gone to hospital in a long time. I can't remember the last time I went to hospital. And I realized that there is a part of me that knows that this is super important, so I'm going to pay for it. I can tell you what is important to you by what you spend your money on. Yo, I'm actually, actually a nice person, I promise. It's actually fun to get to know. That's all lies. I'm landing. Done. Closing. Whatever happens, whatever happens, when the storms come, when it's tough, when it's scary, when you're overwhelmed, whatever happens, live your life in a way that shows the world the value of the good news to you. Is it good news to you?
don't like um, this afternoon I was just praying about the service and, and I felt like for some there's this they, they view God as this hard judge this hard father he's very difficult to please and I felt like this afternoon he wants to change that image he's not a hard father that's difficult to please he's somebody who loves you so much that he did all the hard work when you couldn't I want to tell you this afternoon Jesus loves you. You take that for granted. I've realized there's a study done on how often some people can go weeks without hearing that anybody loves them. Think about it. If you didn't have a spouse or you didn't have kids, who would be telling you that you're loved? I want to tell you that the Lord loves you. He loves you so much that he did something about it. That he's so concerned with your security. That he's so concerned with your life. So concerned with your business. He is. He is in the small things. I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony of how he has come through for us because he worries about the small things. He cares about your health. He cares about your mental health. He cares about the hardship because he is a loving father and he wants to, he wants relationship with you. It's the emphasis of my message this afternoon. He wants a relationship with you and it looks like something. You don't have to live up to a standard to have a relationship with him. Maybe we can bow our heads where we are. Holy Spirit, I ask this afternoon, would you just come right now and would you start to just highlight in our minds where some of us might think that, that God is this hard father, maybe where, we, where some of us think that we have to live up to a certain type of Christianity, where some of us have um, walked around with these heavy burdens on our lives. I just pray, if that is us, would you highlight that to us right now in your name? Lord, I pray for those that feel like they've got this relationship with God that they have to measure up. God, would you come and do a miracle this afternoon? Would you come and change the way that we see you? Because man, you are good. You are such a good father. You're such a loving God. You're such a just judge. You're such an incredible Brother Jesus, you, 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 you give us life. So I ask, Lord Jesus, that by your Spirit, we would begin to walk in freedom from this day moving forward. Maybe we can stand. We're going to just, uh, all of us, we can all stand together. We're going to respond in worship. Um,
But I want to ask, while we're standing, if you could just keep your heads bowed, if there's anybody this afternoon who's, maybe you're visiting here, maybe you've been here for a long time, I don't know, but maybe I, I never want to preach about the good news of Jesus without giving somebody an opportunity to respond to it. And so I'd love to ask if there's anyone here this morning who's never given their life to Jesus. They've never surrendered their life. They don't serve Him. You don't call yourself Christian. You've, you've never served Him. If there's anyone like that this morning, afternoon, who would love to, you'd love to surrender your life. I wonder if that's you, if you could lift your hand with me. I'd love to pray with you. No one's watching, looking out. 